little bit about a whole lot. My name is Stephanie, and I'm excited to bring to you this next episode of Trivial Knowledge. Here's a little bit of background for those who are listening for the first time. I created this podcast to explore our universe together, to go back in time to learn about ancient history, across the oceans to understand other cultures, to journey through athletics, science, technology, and more. Each episode brings you a weekly dose of knowledge from five different topics drawn from four broad categories. And to add to the fun, one topic will be acquired from a random Wikipedia page. With such an extensive range of topics, there's going to be something here for everyone. So let's dive into episode four, Who Let the Crocodile Out? Social Sciences. Today, our journey starts in the Kingdom of Prussia, a German state that had great influence in the 18th and 19th centuries and was ruled for much of its time by the House of Hohenzollern. It is here where we will visit two members of Prussia's royal family who happen to share the same name, Prince Valdemar of Prussia. The elder of the two Prince Valdemars was born on February 10th 1868 at the Crown Prince's Palace in Berlin, less than two years after his elder brother died from meningitis at 21 months old. The Crown Prince Frederick and his wife, Princess Victoria, the Princess Royal and eldest daughter of Queen Victoria of the United Kingdom, were delighted to welcome their youngest son to the family. The Princess Royal was overwhelmed with happiness at his birth, writing to her husband, All the pain of labor is nothing compared to the happiness of having such a dear little creature to hold and to nurse oneself. He was a cheerful, independent child and was very bright, making him a favorite student of his mother and other teachers. Prince Valdemar enjoyed science and loved to collect rocks and minerals he found during his travels. He also loved animals, with the rumor that he even once gave Queen Victoria quite a scare. Queen Victoria was in her room, diligently working. When she lifted her head from her papers, she was startled to find a crocodile gazing at her. She screamed, as any of us would in a similar circumstance, causing everyone to come scrambling to her room, only to find that Prince Valdemar had let his pet crocodile, named Bob, loose in the palace. Unfortunately, despite everyone's best efforts, Prince Valdemar never made it to adulthood, succumbing to diphtheria when he was only 11 years old. Two months after he died at New Palace Potsdam, Germany, the Sydney Morning Herald in Australia published his death on page 7, stating, The death of Prince Valdemar of Prussia is stated in the Berlin telegrams to have taken everyone by surprise. He was apparently in excellent health and spirits on March 2nd when he took part in the rejoicing in honor of the emperor's birthday. On the following Monday, he was taken ill, the symptoms apparently those of diphtheria, and on Tuesday, he took to his bed. The physicians in attendance did not perceive danger until Wednesday night when Dr. Lingenbeck was called in for consultation. The child appeared better in the early part of the night but afterwards he sank very rapidly and died about half past three of disease of the heart. Much sympathy expressed in Berlin with the crown prince and princess. 
A quote taken from the unofficial royalty.com website states that the Princess Royal wrote of her son's death, Ours is indeed a grief which must last a lifetime. We can hardly realize yet that we have lost the darling boy who was our pride and delight, who seemed to grow daily in health and strength, in intelligence and vigor of character. We had fondly hoped he would grow up to be of use to his country and to his family. We had planned and dreamt of a bright and useful future for him. He is missed every hour of the day, and the house has lost half its life. Ten years after the elder Prince Voldemort died, his nephew, the second Prince Voldemort, was born on March 20, 1889 in Kiel, Germany. He was the eldest son of Prince Henry of Prussia and Princess Irene of Hesse and Bayreine. This Prince Voldemort would grow up and serve in the military, receiving several military awards, including three orders of chivalry. The Order of the Black Eagle, which was the highest order of chivalry in the Kingdom of Prussia. The Order of the Black Eagle, which was the highest order of chivalry in the Kingdom of Prussia. The Order of the Red Eagle, which was given for valor in combat excellence in military leadership and a long and faithful service to the kingdom, and lastly, the Order of the Prussian Crown. The amazing thing about this is that he won all these military awards despite suffering from hemophilia, the same disease that his maternal first cousin, Zarevich Alexei Nikolaevich of Russia, and his maternal uncle, Prince Frederick of Hesse and Bayreine, suffered from. The same disease that took his younger brother's life at the age of four years old after he hit his head and bled. This blood clotting disorder would also end up taking Prince Voldemort's life. As he was running from his home due to the Russian advance during World War II, he arrived in Tutsing, Bavaria shortly before the U.S. Army overran the area the following day on May 1, 1945. Prince Voldemort's doctor was unable to provide him with a life-saving blood transfusion, and Prince Voldemort died in a Tutsing clinic at 56 years old. If you would like to learn more about hemophilia among Queen Victoria's descendants, I have posted a blog on the topic on my website at www.trivialknowledgepodcast.com. Sports and Entertainment John Lennon, Paul McCartney, George Harrison, Ringo Starr. I grew up listening to the numerous top-charting hits of the Beatles playing throughout my home, which is no surprise, having a father from England. Today, we are going to focus on just one of those hit songs, A Hard Day's Night. John Lennon wrote the song in one night, and it was recorded in less than three hours on April 16, 1964. The ninth take was the one released, and the track was recorded with Lennon on vocals and electric and acoustic rhythm guitars, McCartney on vocals and bass, Harrison playing lead guitar, and Starr on the drums and cowbells. George Martin also played piano, and Norman Smith, the Beatles sound engineer at EMI Studios, played the bongos. The track itself is 2 minutes and 32 seconds long and featured on the soundtrack for the Beatles' first feature film, A Hard Day's Night. The song made its chart debut on July 18, 1964, reaching the top spot one week later on July 25th. 
It stayed at the top for three weeks and also was the first time anyone held the top spots on both album and single charts in the US and UK simultaneously. The lyrics of the song talk about the singer's devotion to his lover and how he worked hard to afford the things she liked. The lyrics were originally written on the back of a birthday card, which has been on display in the British Museum. The song title was derived from what the British referred to as a Ringo-ism, an off-the-cuff remark from the drummer Ringo Starr. Ringo Starr spoke with this jockey Dave Hall and divulged the origin of the title. We went to do a job, and we worked all day, and we happened to work all night. I came up, still thinking it was day, I suppose, and I said, it's been a hard day, and I looked around, saw it was dark, so I said, night. So we came to a hard day's night. The song won the Grammy Award for Best Performance by Vocal Group in 1965. The Beatles played it together for the last time on August 31st, 1965 at the Cow Palace, located in Daly City, California. The Rolling Stones ranked it at number 154 on their list of 500 greatest songs of all time, released in 2004. And one last interesting fact, the song has even been played in space. It was used as wake-up music on three space shuttle missions, STS-30, 61, and 69. Science and Technology a lot of us loved dinosaurs growing up, and many of us may even remember facts about our favorite dinosaurs, such as Tyrannosaurus rex, Triceratops, or Stegosaurus. Maybe you also have children who have kept you up to date on the latest dinosaur news. Today though, we are going to learn about a large, extinct marine reptile that lived at the same time as the dinosaurs, called the Plotosaurus. The Plotosaurus wandered the Earth in the late Cretaceous period. Charles Lewis Camp, a Berkeley paleontologist, originally assigned it the name Colposaurus, meaning bay lizard, which was fitting for where it used to roam. Once Camp realized that the name Colposaurus already belonged to a type of nothosaur, he changed its name to Plotosaurus in 1951, which means swimming lizard. The Plotosaurus belonged to the now-extinct genus of the Mosasaurs, which were one of four marine reptiles best recognized from the Mesozoic period. The other three Mosasaurs were the Plesiosaurs, which were the model for the Loch Ness Monster, the Ichthyosaurs, which were similar in appearance to sharks or dolphins, and the sea turtles. The Mosasaurs lasted for 30 to 60 million years, appearing on every continent, including Antarctica. Two separate species of Plotosaurus have been discovered, though some believe they are actually the same species. Plotosaurus benessoni was the first Californian Mosasaur discovered, measuring at about 30 feet long. It was discovered in 1937 by Alan Benison and received its name in his honor. The second species was Plotosaurus tuckeri, discovered in 1937 by Professor William M. Tucker and Frank Pava. This species was larger than Benessoni, measuring at 43 feet. Despite being about 13 feet longer, it was a little bit behind on its aquatic adaptations compared to the Benessoni, 
The Plotosaurus was the most advanced branch of the Mosasaur evolution and had adaptations to marine life not seen in other less advanced Mosasaurs. For example, the Plotosaurus had narrower flippers, larger tail fins, and a more streamlined body shape. The Plotosaurus also had keen eyesight with its large eyes. Similar to today's sharks, it is believed that the scales on their skin were specially tailored to decrease drag in the water. By moving its pectoral flippers in a breaststroke motion, it could generate spurts of speed to catch up with its prey. Its ancestors, like other mosasaurs, moved like lizards, and therefore the plotosaurus swam by whipping its tail from side to side, just like lizards on land. Their tail was also more specialized for propulsion than other mosasaurs, due to specialized vertebrae which differed in shape depending on the part of tail they were located on. The plotosaurus likely went extinct along with the other mosasaurs during the KT mass extinction. Geography and World Culture Tropical Glaciers Two words that don't necessarily seem to belong together, but that is what the East and West Northwell Fjerns are, or were, in the case of the West Northwell Fjern. Located on Punchak Jaya in the Sudermere mountain range of Papua New Guinea, these two fjerns are known as mountain glaciers due to their location on top of a mountain. The West Northwell Fjern was located at an elevation of 4,600 meters while the East Northwell Fjern is slightly higher at an elevation of 4,750 meters. Part of the reason the Fjerns had survived here for such a long time is because the seasonal climatic variations, such as temperature and precipitation at these elevations, are minor. The East and West Northwell Fjerns were actually remnants of an ice cap that developed approximately 5,000 years ago. If we travel back in time, we will have seen that the Punchak Jaya glaciers initially consisted of five primary constituents. The Eastern and Western Northwell Fjern, Karstens Glacier, Marin Glacier, and the Southwall Hanging Glacier. The Northwall Fjern, as its name states, was the northernmost ice mass. The first survey of these glaciers was done in 1936, when the west and east Northwall Fjerns were continuous, with the eastern portion also providing ice flow to the West Mirren glaciers. Between 1942 and 1962, the Northwall Fjern split into two portions. 25 years later, in 1987, the east Northwall Fjern also split from the Mirren glacier, and more recently, in 2004, the Northwall Fjern was noted to have separated into four independent Fjern fields, the largest being the West and East Northwall Fjerns. Another survey done using Iconis satellite imagery showed that between 2000 and 2002, the West Northwall Fjern lost 19.4% of its surface area and the East Northwall Fjern lost 4.5%. In 2010, an expedition was made to the glaciers on Pungchok Jaya. Their calculations showed that the 105-foot-thick glacier ice was decreasing each year by 23 feet. As of 2009, the Marin and Southwall glaciers have disappeared, 
with the west north wall fjern also disappearing around 2017. As of 2017, only karstuns and a small portion of the east north wall fjern glaciers remain, with scientists speculating that these two will have disappeared by the late 2020s. Today's random topic. Today's random topic brings us to a little town that plays host to the largest garden party in the world. For those who live in the small Canadian lakeside town of Kitty Vitty, this yearly event fills their town with visitors from around the world. The highlight of the party is the Royal St. John's Regatta. But before we get to this, let's learn a little bit more about the town itself. Located in Newfoundland and Labrador, Canada, Kitty Vitty was first settled in the 1600s when seasonal fishermen began building houses in the area for their family with plans to stay in the area permanently. I would like to read to you a description of this early town from the 1941 edition of the Newfoundland Handbook Gazetteer and Almanac edited by J.R. Smallwood, which has been posted on the Kitty Vitty Plantation website. Kitty Vitty, population 599, an ancient and picturesque fishing settlement a mile or so outside the eastern limit of St. John's, lying between Kitty Vitty Lake and Kitty Vitty Gut. First settled probably in the early 16th century, here in the 1650s and later lived the Newfoundland patriot John Downing, the planter who in 1675 went as the people's delegate to England to procure the resigning of the Royal Proclamation, ordering all settlers to remove from the country. In 1705, it had 20 houses and families. A battle was fought near here in 1762 when the British troops landed at Torbay and marched over land to recapture St. John's from the French. The French had held the capital for several weeks that summer and in anticipation of a probable attempt by the British to land their forces at Kitty Vitty Gut, the French barred it by sinking rock-filled shallop boats in it. While the history of Kitty Vitty is pretty well known, one thing that is not is the origin of its unique town name. Folklorist Philip Hiscock states in a CBC article posted in 2018 by Jen White, It's the name in Newfoundland and Labrador that has the most amount of folklore associated with it and the least amount of known historical documentation. He goes on to state, it's been a confusing name for several hundred years. We don't even know what language the name Kitty Vitty comes from. You can read the article, which I have linked on my website, to learn ideas that have been put forth for the origin of the town's name. Now, the mystery of the town name is not the only thing that makes this small town enchanting. The French built the Kitty Vitty Battery in 1762, and it, along with other batteries in the area, helped to defend St. John. The British also erected a battery called the Kitty Pass Battery during the Napoleonic Wars. Another National Historic Site in Kitty Vitty is Mallard Cottage. The building, constructed between 1820 and 1840, has a low hip roof, two rooms, and a central chimney. The Mallard family, who relocated to Kitty Vitty in the early 19th century, used it as their home. 
After the family left in 1980, the cottage house and antique shop before being purchased in 2011 by a team who wanted to restore the cottage back to its original state. They were extremely successful in their restoration and won the Southcott Award in 2013 for their work. The Southcott Award is given annually for achievements in heritage restoration, stewardship, adaptive reuse, and preservation of built heritage in Newfoundland and Labrador. In 2013, the cottage was reestablished as a restaurant, emphasizing local tradition and foods. Once you have your fill of historical sites, there are several more modern tourist spots to visit in Kitty Vitty. For example, if you have ever wondered what beer made from an iceberg tastes like, then you're in luck. Visit the Kitty Vitty Brewery Company and ask for a pint of iceberg beer made from an iceberg off the coast of Newfoundland. The brewing company itself was founded in 1996 by David Fong and David Reese and is Newfoundland and Labrador's largest craft brewery. Now, if you're interested in homemade crafts and arts, then you will want to add Kitty Vitty Plantation to your list of places to visit. The plantation serves as a place where craftsmen, just starting out in their trade, can not only refine their crafts but can also learn the business side of running a craft business. To become a craftsman at the plantation, a rigorous selection process must be passed before one is allowed to rent a studio. Visitors are then able to watch the craftsmen work and buy their crafts. To see a list of the current artisans in house, as well as to see a full list of qualifications to become a craftsman, you can visit the plantation's website at qvvplantation.com. The biggest event that draws visitors to Kitty Vitty is the Royal St. John Regatta, held on the first Wednesday in August each year. As long as the weather cooperates, the official date of the very first regatta is September 22, 1818, which coincided with the 57th anniversary of the official coronation of King George III. The evening before the regatta, the George Street Festival is held, and people visiting the festival play what has become known fondly as the regatta roulette. What this means is that people stay out late in hopes that the weather is good enough for the regatta to be held the following day. The regatta is considered a holiday, and therefore people do not have to work on the day it is held. But if the weather is not permitting, then the regatta is postponed until the first day with good weather, and people instead would have to head to work, no matter how late they stayed out the night before. The regatta also has connections with the royal family. And several members of the royal family have visited, including Prince Albert Edward in 1860, who later became King Edward, and Queen Elizabeth II in 1978. Along with the boat races, entertainment held lakeside during the regatta includes hundreds of booths of games, food, and drink. For those who are interested in visiting this quaint, picturesque town, you can travel there by car from St. John. And at the end of the road, you will find the quaint little town Kitty Vitty waiting for you. And that concludes this episode of Trivial Knowledge. A little bit about a whole lot. Thank you so much for joining me, and I hope you were able to take away some interesting facts that were new to you. And that you can share with friends and family, or at your local trivia night. 
If you would like to read the blog post discussing hemophilia among Queen Victoria's descendants, would like links to more in-depth articles on topics you enjoyed, or would like a sneak peek about next week's episode, please visit my website at www.trivialknowledgepodcast.com. That's www.trivialknowledgepodcast.com. If you have questions or would like to leave comments about today's episode, please email me at trivialknowledge5 at gmail.com or contact me via social media links on my website. I look forward to our new adventures next week when we discover some delicious dishes from Cameroon and much, much more. I will end this episode with a quote from Anais Nin. The possession of knowledge does not kill the sense of wonder and mystery. There is always more mystery. Join me next week to learn a little bit more about a whole lot.